yes, hello and welcome to another episode of On The Outside. I'm Harry Vandal. With me, as always, Marcus Taylor. Marcus, how are you going? VDW, it is always excellent to see you. I've got to say, and this might be a, a sad reflection on my life or a compliment, depends on how you choose to take it, dear listener, but this is the highlight of my week seeing you every Thursday. Yeah, look, certainly uh, for me as well, as I think we may have actually just used this as an excuse to uh, extend the bromance, mm. perhaps. Definitely oh, I seeing agree. a lot. I agree. We seem to be quite, uh, we seem to be really developing our relationship nicely as I currently getting daggers from my better half across the uh, across the kitchen table. Yes, well, luckily she doesn't listen to the pod as many no, people actually, don't. But she doesn't listen to the pod. So, yeah, you're right. We shall hopefully build that. It's tales this week. I'm very excited. Some big news during the week. We knew it was coming, but it's finally been officially announced. Hobart, our home ground, our home deck, Bell Revival has a test match. Biggest sports story of the year, I would have thought, Vanders. Honestly, like you can keep your you know, your bowlers or whatever it is, the, the Cape Town coming back up. You can keep the Collingwood presidency, whatever. This is the biggest story of the year. Tasmania finally getting a test match. And more than that, the Australian captain getting an opportunity to play a test match at his home ground, which hasn't, I think it's extraordinary. Not more has made of this. What's he played? 40, 40 tests, if that? Yeah, well, look, it'll be his first and no doubt last test match in Hobart. And to be honest, if it takes Afghanistan and an Ashes year to get a test in Hobart, it could be another decade or two before we get another one. So I, for one, probably be there all five days, another reflection on my life, uh, and really soaking up the atmosphere on the hill. No, look, I imagine you would be, Vanders, and certainly I can imagine you doing a lot of soaking uh, during that time. But uh, do you, can you name me? Without being disparaging, can you name me two Afghani test players? I can name one twice. Rashid Khan. <laughs> uh, and I'm, sure I'm sure there's been one that's played for the uh, the Hurricanes. That that's probably going to be the only the only thing is that it as great as it is to have a test match in Hobart, and as great as it is to see Afghanistan play in Australia, which they absolutely deserve to have had that opportunity. And I'm really glad they're getting that opportunity because that's how test cricket grows. Like sport never grows from excluding other people. You think we would have learned that by now. And you think the Juventus president would have learned that by now as well. But it is fantastic that they're getting opportunity. It just sucks that it's in Hobart. Like, can't we see anybody? Like imagine like Rashid Khan's going to have to bowl 50 overs down there in freezing cold. His fingers will be frozen. Like, you know how hard it is to bowl leg spin at Bell Reef? Yeah, look, I think that the the only benefit from it is that it, it is a uh, an Ashes year. So it's warm up. I think, I think I mean, Hobart not known in any sport for crowds turning up, but I think I think there'll be <laughs> enough. Know. And I know there is there is quite a strong Afghan community in in Tassie. So he's yes. hoping they get they get along and you know possibly have an outnumber the home crowds. Because if Tassie is and this is getting a little bit on my on my nerves here, but if Tassie is, is good at anything, it's complaining about not getting sport and then not showing up to sport. Now, it's early in the pod to be ranting, and I know there might be some rants later on, but you've just really, you've made me do it, and it annoys me. It pisses me off. No, I'm glad. I'm glad that pisses you off, Anders, because you're 100% right. The problem, at, Tasmanians are so good at that. It's so good at wanting everything and not actually prepared to sacrifice even a little bit to get it. Sanders, of course, big news of the week, amazingly, was cricket, despite the fact that it's in the middle of May. We're going to talk about cricket. Cam Bancroft, 
poor bastard that Cam Bancroft said something stupid to a boxing reporter and all of a sudden has just just almost triggered the entire Australian sporting psyche. Yeah, well, during the week, uh, Cam Bancroft, in an interview, uh, when asked, did anyone else know, seemed to allude heavily to the fact that the three of them, uh, David Warner, Stephen Smith, and Cameron Bancroft weren't the only ones to know about the Cape Town ball tampering uh, incident, which has obviously scarred Australian cricket uh, and damaged reputations, which obviously led to Tim Payne becoming uh, captain in the first place. So mm. Bancroft alluded heavily to the fact that the, uh, those three weren't the only ones to know. Um, and, and that story has just exploded after those comments. Oh, look, absolutely. A few things to consider here, Vanders, and we won't, we won't try and determine the guilt of, of who didn't, didn't know. Actually, we'll probably come to that in a couple of minutes. Stick by, dear listener. But first thing, though, is I, I just want to consider this possibility. You know how everybody kind of thinks of Cam Bancroft as being a little... Simple is not the right word, but a, just a straightforward person. He's a very straightforward person. What you see is what you get from Cam Bancroft. Is it possible that he's actually smarter than everybody and he knew exactly what he was saying. He just thought, you know what? I'm just going to c- cause some shit and say, say something as vague as possible, which is going to cause everyone to debate over whether or not I said I meant this or that, and then debate about the this and the that. Yeah, well, look, it certainly got some, um, some responses during the week. So uh, initially, um, you know, a few players, ex-players, Michael Clark came out and said bowlers had to know. Adam Gilchrist said there's something going on there. Um, obviously, the English have jumped on it because being an Ashes year, they want to cause as much trouble. Um, but essentially, a lot of sentiment, uh, you know, Stuart Brock came out and said there's no way in hell that the bowlers could not have known. If I even land the ball slightly off the seam, um, Jimmy Anderson will come and ask mm. me what the hell I'm doing. So those responses. And then the, uh, the bowlers responded as well, Tails. Talk me through that. So rarely, very rarely do you get three or four players getting together and deciding to put out a, a statement. They didn't put the statement out through their managers, I don't think. I think they put it out themselves. And very unusual, I think, and I don't know what you think about this, but very unusual that CA weren't the ones to do this. So th- this statement came a couple, like it came a couple of days after. It came a couple of days after uh, the Bancroft comments and the subsequent uh, commentary from Clark and, and whatnot. Unusual in that time. CA did comment in that time, but they weren't the ones putting the facts out that the fast bowlers appeared to put out. And I thought that was so strange. Yeah, you're right. I mean, how often do you know, a football team, the back line, um, separate themselves from the forward yeah. line that's been mi- missing kicking goals. Never. And I think, you know, possibly what's triggered, the CA response seemed to be more targeted at ensuring that if Cam Bancroft had something to say, that there was a space mm. for him to say it, um, rather than necessarily defending the players. But also that's a sticky position to be in because if you're defending the players straight away, then you're calling Bancroft a liar. And then mm. that that becomes a, an ethical hard one. But obviously... I mean, this story is not going away. It's an ashes year. It's just going to get bigger and bigger. Personally, I think there's sort of there's two ways of two or three ways that it, that it could have gone down. And obviously, mm. we can speculate what happened in, in Cape Town until the cows come home. But you know, I find it hard to believe that the bowlers didn't know. Yeah. But I also don't think the bowlers would have denied it so aggressively, so wholeheartedly had they known. So I'm kind of on. I'm on both fences and just sitting in between them. 
I think the only thing that stops me, the only two considerations I have about the bowlers here is one that they didn't, they weren't aware specifically of the plan to use sandpaper to alter the, the whatever it is of the ball, which I can believe. But secondly, I think if you wanted to get one of them, this situation took probably the three biggest scalps in Australian cricket that it could take. It took Lehman, it took Smith, it took Warner, and eventually it also took Sutherland, although that might have been for another reason. If you wanted to get someone, like, go and get Josh Hazelwood. Like, he would have only taken 100 wickets at the time. Like, who would have, who would have minded as much if you got Josh Hazelwood instead of David Warner? You know, there was a, an India series coming up, then an Ashes. Like, if you wanted to get someone, go and get one of the bowlers if you wanted to find someone guilty for this. I, w- I would be really surprised if the bowlers were in some way responsible that none of them got punished. And I can't think of a good reason, if they were responsible, that they didn't get punished. Now, granted, you did have to go and punish Smith and Warner in this situation because they knew and it was a failure of leadership. They also fronted the press conference, yes. But if you knew these other guys were responsible, why wouldn't you try and get them as well? Perhaps a misstep from the bowlers, and and maybe only because I have spent a little bit of time playing cricket compared to maybe the general public. At the highest level. You've played against Australian players, have you not? No, I mean, who, who can remember? There's so many of them, Tails. I couldn't name names. But uh, they wouldn't the, want the, you to either. <laughs> the, the fast bowler's defense was that, you know, two very, very highly skilled, experienced umpires didn't notice anything mm. uh, on the surface of the ball. And honestly, I don't think that I, I don't think that checks out. I think a bowler is more likely to be aware of any damage to a ball than an umpire. So for me, that that didn't check out. But honestly, it strikes me as maybe the the pea brain scheme to tamper with mm. the ball got caught so early that there was in fact not not much damage to the ball at all. Exactly, that's exactly that. You've made the exact right point. If you can't go out there and say, "Oh, your defence is that," oh, we, you know, these umpires didn't find anything on the ball. Well, yeah, because they didn't have it. The Australians were so bad at it; they didn't have a chance to put something on the ball. So you can't use that as as your defence. You're exactly right. Exactly right. We might be very lucky that the Barmy Army may not be able to travel and attend because otherwise imagine the, the carry-on. But uh, look, I think, you know, this is, we're going to be talking about this story many, many times over, over the next six months till the ashes start, six or seven months. I'll ask you three relatively quick questions to get to the end of this. One, do you think you know everything that happened? No, not even slightly. Right, that's interesting. Two, do you think you'll ever know everything that happened? No, I don't think I will. I think we will know theories, maybe two or three slightly different theories, but I don't think we'll ever know what actually happened. Third one, and this is my last one. Say the bowlers were responsible. Do you actually want to know everything that happened? Do you want it to come out that this was Pat Cummins' idea? Imagine that. Imagine the shock. Oh. Um, I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Tal. I feel like Neither. it's important. Neither. It's important to get to the bottom of. I mean, that's a that's a rabbit hole you're going down as far as who else has been tampering. And I mean, I know I, I carry on about this all the time about other teams tampering and everyone being very hypocritical of the Australians because they were so Faf. dumb. Just and say obvious. Faf. It's fine. He's not going to hear this. Faf to foresee just doesn't seem to understand the difference between using his, the zip on his pants 
and sandpaper. And if you in any way alter the state of the ball with the foreign substance, that's illegal. It doesn't matter if you're using a jackhammer or you, you got no idea what changes reverse swing. Maybe a tiny bit of zip or saliva works way better than a jackhammer. So there's just there's a lot of a lot of hypocrites out there. And yeah, look, I think I think the Australians got got caught and and deserve to be punished for it. But I think it put a lot of people on on notice. I think it did. All right, we'll move on in just a sec. But I, I just want to leave this with you, dear listener. I find it exceptionally curious that this story comes out within a week, within a week of Tim Pang saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I'd support Steve Smith. Tell me back as captain. Isn't it amazing how life works, Fanders? Keep an eye on that. Marcus, there's been some uh, some silly buggers during the week and a lot of complaining mm. from some AFL coaches uh, who, you know, hate to complain. So obviously we have to, to stand up and sit up and listen to them when they do. But holding the ball has been in the spotlight again this week. Prior opportunity, holding the ball, a lot of missed calls. Um, Damien Hardwick was particularly scathing of the umpires uh, this week in the whole AFL. What's your issue with holding? Is there an issue with the holding the ball rule? And, and why is there so many complaints? So I don't have a problem necessarily with the rule. I just think that a lot of people, footy fans, you and I, we grew up with a game. People that grew up with a game have an idea in their heads about what holding the ball is and what it isn't. And it's, it's one of those things that and it's, a, it's a horrible sort of nebulous term to use, but it, it's one of those things that when you see it, you know. And that's what holding the ball kind of feels like. It's that it, when, you, when you kind of see it, you kind of know what holding the ball is and that's so hard to apply objectively so i don't have a problem necessarily with the rule i think i have a problem with coaches and and damien harwick and luke beverage are the two that have come out and said this uh this week that um they you know they have a problem with they should get rid of prior opportunity they're saying it because it's beneficial to their teams so you know it's it's beneficial for luke beverage luke beverage wants players around the ball because his team is so good at getting it out of those situations. So if he can draw the opposition teams in, they can just flick the ball and they're away. Damien Hardwick wants players around the ball because they're really good at high-pressure teams and trapping teams in and forcing turnovers. So I have a problem with them coming out and saying it's a rule because their fans, or saying the rule should change because their fans believe, you know, believe anything they say. Yeah, so the, the controversy came about during the week because of the high number of tackles versus the low number of, of holding the ball calls, yeah. um, which, which um, came to light in the, in the St Kilda game, Saints v Cats, um, with Brett Ratton being a little bit upset at the, at the, at the free kick t- count. So, I mean, I think that is interesting to say, but I also, I, I honestly feel for the umpires a lot in this because their directives from the Absolutely. from the AFL seem to be changing every week. Get looser, get tighter. They've got to change it all the time. Midweek, sometimes these rules are being interpreted differently. They're copying all this from from the fans and the coaches. And realistically, I think it's an AFL PR issue. Um, the AFL needs to, and this sounds really basic, but I almost think they need to use footage, put it yeah. out there. And take everyone through all the variations of the rules, you know, whether it's no prior, no attempt, no prior attempt, dropping the 
ball knocked out in the tackle, all these different little things. Because I know I've seen an umpire explain it before and I was had no idea that was the rule. I feel it's one of these sort of cyclical issues that'll come up every single year, but I don't believe it's killing the game. Like it, it just as a bit of a temperature check, do you find footy more watchable this year than you have last year? Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like the game's okay. I don't, I don't feel like we're seeing masses of, you know, the roll, what do they call it? The rolling malls or whatever. I feel it's okay. I don't, I don't see why the rule needs to change just because, there was, you know, there were outliers where something went wrong, like on Friday night. Look, I think there's a lot of self-serving coaches out there who probably smartly are trying to just influence the game to hurt their style. But, you know, this, this won't be the last we'll hear about it. Um, it'll go in off quietly and then we'll hear about it in another couple of months and every season. I didn't realise that Melbourneians just hated Marvel Stadium. Like, they just hate it. So this comes off the back of Damien Hardwick said on, on Saturday night after his team's thrilling win, by the way, one of the best wins of their, of their, uh, their dynasty, which nobody turned up for, that he hates being there and he doesn't blame the fans for not turning up there. Yeah, look, I think from watching a little bit of footy in both Melbourne and Sydney, there's, I can understand why people in Sydney don't want to travel out. Swans fans don't want to travel out to uh, sort of Olympic Park to watch the footy because it's a thousand kilometers away. But come on, Marvel Stadium is just it's around the corner. Stops. Two There's just this snobby Richmond MCG attitude about the home of footy. Can't watch it anywhere else. Like it's a good stadium. I, I mean, yes, it's probably a touch old now facilities, but so is the MCG. So is everything, but yeah. Perth stadium. I get it. Like, you know, we, we all like going to the football at the MCG. I prefer going to the MCG, but i tell you what I also like is when it's cold and wet and rainy and I'm taking somebody that's not as, let's say a committed football fan as perhaps I am, that you can still take them to an indoor facility where drinks and food are pretty good to get. There's not a bad seat in the house. You're always going to be able to watch the footy there. It's one of those things that just shits me about football fans. Every time something new comes in, we're seeing it as the death of football. Change is good. Change is healthy. Don't just get upset every time something new comes in, even though it's been there for 20 fucking years. Don't get upset every time something new comes in. You've got to do these things. What's the alternative? Going back to Windy Hill? 5,000 people and you piss on a can and five degree weather when it's raining sideways this is Taz, this is an impressive an impressive rant here and i i'm just picturing you in my head now just having a glass of red sitting back in front of the fire and, and just angry would you i mean new segment coming to mind is this is this a tails rails are you tails ra- rails. are you railing right now tails how do you you just come up with that off the cuff tails rails i don't mind that we might put, we might bring back that every week. What do you reckon? Well, I mean, judging by our other segments, nothing's come back again, so <laughs> probably not. But hopefully, I like a tails well. All right, Dan. now uh, our hot takes from last weekend. Now, I'm more than willing to bring this up. Because you wouldn't believe how close I got last week. Now, what you heard there, Vanders, was me predicting that North would win 
And Cam Zerhard would kick five goals. What did he end up with? So, didn't get five, I wouldn't have thought. Didn't get five. Four. He got four goals. Tyler. He got four. That's pretty good. It's close. Are you giving me a tick for that? Do I get a mark? Do I get a check? I don't like you as a bloke. Um, <laughs> but I, I honestly think that if you put in the, the win and then a little added extra, if you're close enough, I think that's a win. I would have taken mine from a few weeks ago with, uh, with Lynch getting kicking eight. So, look, I'll give it to you. Technically, he had eight scoring yes, shots. Yes, well, I like to get to so... I'll give it to you. But remember this, Tails, and remember this, listeners, when it happens in the future. My, my hot take was, of course... Uh, a failure. Disappointingly, I just uh, said Giants to beat Richmond and take their spot in the eight. Pretty easy prediction, a little bit cowardly from myself, and Dustin Martin wrecked it for me. No thanks to the rest of the Richmond potatoes. So, yes, you are up. I think it's now. I think it's one all now. I think it's one all I think so, yeah. in week four, which is which is We've got a tenuous one each. <laughs> Give it. I don't mind it. Tails, hot takes though. So, this week, what have you got for me? My prediction for this week is that Alistair Clarkson is going to outcoach David Teague. They're going Hawthorne are going to beat Carlton on Saturday, and David Teague will not be coaching by the next time we record this pod. That's huge. That's that's what hot takes is for. That's a massive hot take. I'm excited by it. That's lava like. Yeah, I, I, I mean, mine is puny compared to that, but I'm happy to go with it because I need to get the win. Hey, it's not the size count. <laughs> yeah, well, tell that to you. some people. All right, hot takes. So mine is that. I've got a longer-term one. My prediction, both around Cameron mm. Bancroft. Ooh, I love it. Love it. Uh, let, me, hang on. let me just sit down. All right. Cameron Bancroft will not play for Australia ever again. Love it. That's does that. That's my long. Term. Does that count that? Does that count those, those? You know those pissy Australian like the PMs eleven and all that sort of stuff. No, I think he'll play in or those. Astra- I think he'll particularly play in okay. those. I think they'll throw him a bone, so they haven't cut him out for uh, off-field reasons. Yeah, so they mm. can. Uh, so that's my that's my longer-term take, which we obviously just sometimes throw in it. there. Short-term take is I think this week we will hear something from Cam Bancroft like an official statement, just clarifying his media comments. Uh, I think we'll hear that from him during the week. How long has it been? When was the, it was over the weekend, wasn't it? It's been a while. So Mm. you're really interested, but as people come out of sort of, you know, CAs getting the IPL players out of lockdown, I think that we'll hear something more on that this week. I love it, Vanders. Absolutely love it. And I look forward to seeing both those takes come true for your benefit, not for Cam Bancroft's, but. Uh, or, or David Teague's. Yeah. Well, who knows? Uh, all right, Vanders, anything else before we leave? No, that's me, Dan. I reckon I'm looking forward to watching this weekend.